0: FilmSpotting SVU is presented by Movies on Demand on cable, bringing the latest indie movies into your home at the touch of a button.
1: Now playing on demand is Cop Car, starring Kevin Bacon as a crooked county sheriff desperate to hunt down two boys who have taken his abandoned patrol car on a joyride, not realizing there is something very valuable inside it. Also on demand is People, Places, Things, starring Flight of the Concord's Jemaine Clement as a newly single father of two twin girls who must navigate the complexities of new love, single parenting, and letting go of the past.
0: The latest independent films are ready when you are with Movies on Demand on cable. The Art House is now in your house.
1: From New York City, this is Film Spotting, streaming video unit. I'm Allison Wilmore.
0: And I am Matt Singer. In this episode, Allison and I debate whether 40 somethings playing teenagers is even funnier than 30 somethings playing them as we discuss Netflix's wet hot American summer prequel series, First Day of Camp.
1: And the answer is a million times <laughs> yes. Later in the show, we'll bring you Q Shots, where we recommend some titles you can rent or stream at home right now, all featuring a common theme, and since we'll be talking about the follow-up to a cult comedy with a famously impressive cast, we thought we'd recommend some other movies or TV series they've worked on. And then we thought, Christopher Maloney is in Wet Hot American Summer. You know what else Christopher Maloney was in? Yes. Law & Order SVU. Is it finally time for the Film spotting SVU episode in which we talk <laughs> about the television spinoff that, for legal reasons, will insist has nothing to do with our <laughs> podcast name? No, no, we're not going to do that. Oh, Sorry, Matt. Next time. I was
0: getting excited.
1: Uh, yeah, But we do have some other good, wet-hot cast-related recs for you coming up. But first, it's opening break, a segment we do in conjunction with our sponsor, Movies on Demand on Cable in which we spotlight a few notable films new on demand on cable. Matt, you're up this week. What are our picks?
0: All right, our first pick is a movie I'm very much looking forward to, and it's called She's Funny That Way. This is the new film from director Peter Bogdanovich, the great figure of the new Hollywood movement. This is actually his first fiction film for for film screens, I guess. He's done a couple of... Uh, TV movies, he's done some documentaries but since 2001 I believe, and the Cat's Meow this was his last feature film that was a theatrical release so it's been a long time coming he's been doing other things but it's his first movie in quite a while and I'm intrigued by the, the concept and the cast, I will read you the plot description here, it says from renowned director Peter Bogdanovich She's Funny That Way is a screwball comedy featuring the interconnected personal lives of the cast and crew of a Broadway production, when established director Arnold Albertson, played by Owen Wilson, casts his call-girl-turned-actress, Izzy Patterson, played by Imogene Poots, in a new play to star alongside his wife, Delta, played by Katherine Hahn, and her ex-lover, Seth, played by Reese Iffens, a zany love-tangle forms with hilarious twists. Jennifer Aniston plays Izzy's therapist, Jane, who is consumed with her own failing relationship with Arnold's playwright, Joshua, played by Will Forte, who is also developing a crush on Izzy, and I have no idea what I just read. It sounds incredibly complicated, as most good screwball comedies are, but when you say Peter Bogdanovich and screwball comedy, uh, Peter Bogdanovich years ago made one of, I think, one of the best screwball comedies ever in What's Up Doc, a fabulous screwball comedy, and what a great cast he's got here. Owen Wilson, Will Forte, Jennifer Aniston, Katherine Hahn, who I love, so... It sounds like a great cast for a screwball comedy, so it's an intriguing combination there for me.
1: Well, it's comforting to know my director's close by. You want some dinner? Ah, I'm so
0: worn out. Better just go straight to bed. We'll start with scene one whenever you're ready. Mm. Mm. Okay, I got it. Cut! Sorry, I got really into it. If you promise me tonight that you'll never do this again, I'll give you $30,000.
1: You're not really serious. So are you free for dinner tonight? Okay. She's here? Yeah. you...
0: She's funny that way, and that's going to be available on VOD starting on August 21st. Our next recommendation here also will be available starting on August 21st, and it's called Some Kind of Beautiful, not Some Kind of Wonderful... I can't verify how wonderful any of this is, but I can verify it is beautiful because it is called Some Kind of Beautiful, and this one has another impressive cast. Pierce Brosnan, Salma Hayek, Jessica Alba, and Malcolm McDowell. Sounds like a crazy game of Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, but no, it is a film. I'll read you the plot description for this one. Richard, played by Pierce Brosnan, is a successful college professor who gives up a steady stream of one-night stands and beautiful undergrads, and haven't we all been there, Allison? For fatherhood with much younger Kate, played by Jessica Alba, three years later, when Kate falls in love with someone else and moves out, she sends her sister Olivia, played by Salma Hayek, to make sure Richard is properly caring for their son. Assuming Richard is back to his irresponsible playboy lifestyle, Olivia is shocked when she starts to fall in love with him herself. Boy, it really feels like someone has been, like, listening in on my phone calls and conversations and just (laughs) adapting my life to the big screen, but... Uh, in, until I can – I guess I have to see it for myself to determine whether I should be filing a lawsuit or something. I guess I have to – before I boycott or or get litigious, I should watch it first. So that's Some Kind of Beautiful available on August 21st. And finally, also available on August 21st – apparently that's a big day for new on VOD – is a documentary I'm also looking forward to seeing and just – Uh, Pretty much the premise alone sells me on this one. It is called Being Evil, and it is the, quote, real story behind the myth of American icon Robert Evil Knievel and his legacy, the famous stuntman who throughout the 70s jumped – I don't know. He jumped. What did he jump? Like a he jumped Caesar's Palace, I think. At one point he jumped over the moon. <laughs> he jumped uh he jumped the Atlantic Ocean, I think. He was famous for jumping things on his motorcycle. He was a, a a famous stuntman daredevil and and a huge celebrity in his day. And I don't really know that much about him as you can tell from my listing his exploits which included him jumping the moon and jumping the Atlantic Ocean. But I'm fascinated by him. And by daredevils in general, I think, interest me. I don't know if it's my appreciation of jackass or what it is, but I find— Your daredevil lifestyle. Man. My own daredevil lifestyle, yes. When I'm not being like Pierce Barrazin, a successful college professor who gives up his stream of one-night stands to to father a, a child with a Jessica Alba, I am a, a stunt double in my spare time. So, yeah, I, I, I don't know what it is. It's I, something about putting your life on the line to entertain people I find a fascinating— mindset. So I'm looking forward to seeing that one. It is called Being Evil E. V. E. L. That's how Evil Can Evil spelled his name. And that will be available on VOD starting on August twenty first.
1: i'm gonna like it here here on film spotting svu we let you choose our main review each episode by voting on one of three choices and you had a little longer than usual to vote in our poll this time around as matt had to go on vacation to italy with his family what a jerk what a jerk uh, we gave you three comedy series this time around. The first was Netflix's Wet Hot American Summer First Day of Camp. The second was the the first season of FX's returning You're the Worst. And the third was Hulu's new original Difficult People. And Wet Hot American Summer First Day of Camp, maybe unsurprisingly, was the Runaway winner. Though I'd still urge you to check out those other two shows, which are both, let's say, enjoyably dickish. <laughs> It's been 14 years since Wet Hot American Summer, which is the summer camp comedy directed by David Wayne and written by Wayne and Michael Showalter, was not a hit at the time, but became a cult favorite over the years. It's got a sprawling ensemble cast that featured many actors who were either on their way to fame or some like Janine Garofalo and David Hyde Pierce, who were pretty much already there. Um, You have Wayne's Stella cohorts, Michael Ian Black and Michael Showalter as well as fellow members of their previous group, The State, like Joe LaTrulio and Ken Marino. And then you have people like Paul Rudd, Molly Shannon, Bradley Cooper, Amy Poehler, Elizabeth Banks, and many more. Now, David Wayne tried for years to make a follow-up to Wet Hot American Summer, and earlier this year, it was reported that he and Showalter had pulled off an eight-episode series that had just started filming in L.A. Wet Hot American Summer, first day of camp, as promised, takes place entirely on the first day of camp at Camp Firewood in Maine in 1981. The movie, of course, took place entirely on the last day of camp and presumably in between, nothing at all happens. Uh, But pretty much the entire grown-up cast has returned with some newcomers including Jason Schwartzman, Chris Pine, John Hamm, Kristen Wiig, Josh Charles, and more. Um, So Matt... This series has some very high expectations to meet. Overall, would they? Would you say for you they were met?
0: Uh, overall, I would say they were. I don't. I don't think that it is quite the slam dunk that the original film was and is. And I will talk more about that in our recommendation segment later in the show. I don't want to talk too much about the movie here, but I will say that I greatly enjoyed watching. Uh, The show I watched, I I don't know, three sittings, something like that. Very, it goes down very smooth. We've, we've talked a lot about Netflix shows here on film spotting SVU. A lot of times I feel like we're kind of making the same complaints over and over that they're kind of listless, that they're kind of rambling. They, their pacing is a little slack. They're too long. Uh, I didn't, I did not feel that here. I enjoyed every episode I laughed quite a bit. There were some I liked more than others, but I generally feel like they they did this they did this pretty well. You know, there's only eight episodes, and each one's only twenty something minutes, and, and they didn't. I, I feel like they didn't bite off more than they could chew. Although they did kind of get admirably silly, and in, in that sense, they did expand beyond the uh, the narrative horizons of the first movie. T- In in some places. So overall, yes, I would say they've made a worthy follow up, not not a masterpiece, but a a very enjoyable one. And if Netflix was so inclined to make Wet Hot American Summer second day of camp or something like that, I would be fully on board and would be looking forward to that. What about you? Yeah,
1: I think I liked it a little less than you, though I still think it went down, as you said, very easily. And I laughed and I liked seeing these characters again. I just I don't know that having more of a runtime and having episodes necessarily improved on the idea of revisiting the same type of comedy that worked in a a much more condensed and kind of like single helping. Right. You know, I think that I don't think that this has the same problems that most Netflix series do in that it does not spend you know one third of its runtime on exposition before any storyline starts (laughs) right it it would be interesting to think of what that would entail with Wet on American Summer but I do think it's not a terribly good television show in that way you know it does try and have episodes start off with one particular character some, some of the time okay but I don't think that you can really like I don't remember where each episode started and stopped I feel like it just feels like a hole to me
0: Right. Well, yeah. That's interesting, and it is. It is true that sort of like some of these other Netflix shows, which I admittedly haven't enjoyed that much. You're right. It is sort of a single unit here. It's. It is the first day of camp, and the first episode is the morning, and the last episode is the night and into the next morning, and it is sort of like a four hour movie in that sense because it's you know eight four eight to half hour episodes. I just think that. By making it only eight episodes as opposed to 10 or 13 and only having them be 22 to 29 minutes as opposed to being 48 to 59 minutes, it just didn't bother me as much. I think if they had made this into a 95-minute movie, it might might be – Arguably, it might be better, you know, that, that if it was just the cream of the creme de la creme of wet hot American Summer, first day of camp, maybe if we were being super critical, that would be a, a better product as a whole than the show. But I laughed at every single episode. I, like I said, there were some episodes that I liked more than others. Uh, the thing that I would say I like about this is in terms of like, wet hot American Summer is a film I've seen a lot, many times. I could see myself going and watching, like, the Electro City episode of this again. I don't find myself going back and watching a lot of Netflix shows. I don't go, man, that fifth episode of the second season of House of Cards, that was a humdinger. Going to go rewatch that one. But I could absolutely find myself after a long day going, boy, I could really use a little Electro City in my life. And just watching that episode, I feel like I would absolutely do that. So, That's something to be said for the episodic format is that there are bits and pieces here that I liked so much that I wouldn't mind just revisiting those.
1: Yeah, I don't know. I mean, like with the film, it wasn't something that I loved. It it was something that I loved more as I revisited it. Mm -hmm. I think it definitely grew on me, which I think I've spoken about before on this podcast. So it's possible that the series will have the same effect, but I don't really see myself revisiting this too much. Mm -hmm. I was really happy to watch it the first time, but I don't think that... There's any, I, I mean, partially, I think it is because I, it seems like one kind of form, like giant hole to me, that mm-hmm. it's hard for me to pick out any particular strand that I'd really want to revisit. I did like that this is a prequel, as I've mentioned, and that it, it, it does like a pretty earnest job of filling in some of back, like backstory for some of the insane developments that are in the the movie. I like, did,
0: I did like that a lot.
1: It, it. Like John H. John Benjamin's
0: appearance (laughs) is. I
1: didn't even realize
0: that he. Well, I guess we don't want to spoil exactly, but I didn't realize that that was him in the original film. Yes. Until. Uh, uh the, He appears in the show in a different form. And then, uh,
1: well, it's, that, let's not even go into it. Let's not go into it other than that, I, that was maybe one of my favorite things. I
0: like that a lot. And I did like also how not only did they explain the things that you would expect them to explain or to delve into, like storylines, like characters kind of falling in love or whatever it might be but that they also provided elaborate backstories for characters that did not require it. I thought that was one of the most endearing and hilarious parts. For example, the Elizabeth Banks character who in the film is just a kind of a horny camp counselor, in this the second episode begins with her At work at a rock and roll publication, a magazine like Rolling Stone. She's Cameron Crowe, basically. She's Cameron Crowe going undercover (laughs) at the camp. I thought that was one of the most brilliant touches and one of the very kind of like lovely kind of surreal things that the original movie did really nicely where it would just kind of shock you with this random weirdness that was so charming and hilarious. I thought adding in a backstory to a character who required none whatsoever – uh, I thought was really delightful, and and that and her storyline I found to be one of the most pleasurable throughout the show. I really enjoyed everything with Elizabeth Banks as Lindsay. I just thought it was great.
1: I I did not love the Chris Pine character, uh-huh. but I liked so much of that reveal. Yes, he, he
0: Chris Pine is uh, I would say is the wink link in the story. Yes i i don't i don't know if it's him so much as it is the characters just kind of isn't really fully created. maybe that is partly his fault uh however that his character does provide- a, a, yet another random prequel thing or or backstory, which is to one of the songs from the first movie, yes. which again is a thing that doesn't require a backstory but we we learn where one of the songs from the first movie comes from, which again, I just like
1: right, I well, just I'm- love
0: the commitment to the absurdity of prequelizing things that demand no no prequel sure
1: i mean michael Sarah plays jim Stansel,
0: was which was a fake name <laughs> yeah. that, from the first movie <laughs> yes yeah uh,
1: you know that guy you know jim Stansel, right like uh i i mean that the kind of fan service slash nerdiness slash i would that. say it's
0: also slash a parody of fan service right though. don't you think that right, they're kind because, of making right. fun of the the idiocy of prequels that try to – like, I, I, having just seen the Fantastic Four, I don't know if you have. Oh, yes, I have. So the very beginning – I promise there's a point to this. The beginning of the Fantastic <laughs> Four, we see young Ben Grimm, soon to be the Thing, and he's being picked on by his older brother. And what does the older brother do before he picks on him? He says, it's clobberin' time, which right. is what the Thing does famously in the comic books when he punches Dr. Doom right in the kisser. Which is – that's literally like prequelizing – the, or giving a backstory to something that requires no backstory and it makes it stupid. What kind, of a, what kind of a person would internalize the thing that they used to get beat up with? If I said to you as I punched you in the face, Allison, it's clobbering time, I don't know that you would then go around punching people in the face and saying the same thing. I find that slightly illogical. So Don't psychoanalyze me, Matt. I'm sorry. I have to just a little bit here to make my point, which is that that these movies do this earnestly and sincerely and i just thought that the way that this show does it in a kind of very mocking way i thought was pretty fantastic
1: sure and i think that that speaks to the kind of underlying pleasure of the movie which is that it i I would say more it's certainly not it gets described as a parody of like a camp movie I don't know that there's such a thing as a camp movie. Really? Wow, you know, meatballs. there's meatballs, but like meatballs is already a comedy. Like yeah. I don't like, it's kind of, it's almost like a parody of a genre that doesn't really exist. Mm-hmm. And it's also a parody of like storytelling techniques. Like it's right. a, it's a, like Stella, especially has always found a lot of joy in making fun of how a narrative gets from one place to another. Mm-hmm. Like if you watch some of their shorts, I was just rewatching one called Raking Leaves, which starts with them raking leaves and ends with Mother Nature and Satan, played by Bradley Cooper, hooking up. And it just, like, the jumps that, like, it takes are so, like, kind of joyously anarchic. And so I I think there's, like, that's part of what's so enjoyable about the movie. And I think that the ways in which... The prequel fills in all of this backstory rather like carefully and laboriously, is certainly like an expression of, of that. Yes, yeah. But I I also really liked Bradley Cooper's character where he began. I, that was yes. a nice reveal. Yes. Um, and I I liked where it kind of reset a lot of the romantic yearnings and kind of romantic mm. uh, pursuits that in general, uh, I, you know, for ending up in a movie where like. Some characters are pursuing completely different people
0: right
1: I, it was neat, particularly with Paul Rudd's character
0: I, I'm wondering, did you ever think about as you're watching this the arrest development Netflix series, and I say that because again that was a, obviously that was a, a TV show being revived instead of a movie being revived, but it had a very large cast who famously went on to bigger and better things and were hard to bring back and so they to do it, they sort of did this weird thing where I guess they were filming them all at different times, and then the end result was sort of instead of making it kind of a an ensemble piece really they almost they almost like made individual episodes about specific people and it, it's i don't know it felt it was i guess it was an ambitious experiment in some ways, but I found that so frustrating, and you can feel a little bit of that here where yes. characters are kind of kind of coming in and out and you can sort of feel when they only had a character or an actor for a couple of days. You know, you mentioned Bradley Cooper and it's great to see him still in this. And I would say when he's on screen, he goes for it. You know, there's a a scene towards the end where he is in one of the most outrageous costumes. I think a major actor has been in and i'm thinking this is the guy who just 6 months ago was in American Sniper this big serious important oscar movie and he's wearing like shiny satiny blue and gold like leotard with a headband on and frankly it's not very flattering on him and i was just thinking good for him for really embracing it and still being able to kind of have fun with himself but He's not in that much of the show, and and it seemed like they kind of replace him essentially with a character who's played by John Slattery from Mad Men, a character that I honestly felt was sort of the weakest addition of all the new characters in the show. I thought was sort of the the weakest, especially because he gets a lot of screen time, probably to make up for the fact that Amy Poehler's character needs kind of a sidekick, and without Bradley Cooper, they kind of insert this other guy in there, and I, I just didn't think it worked all that well. Did you feel yeah, the same way? I,
1: mean, I didn't love any of the new characters aside from H. M. Benjamin, if you want to call him a new character. Yes, but I—I I mean, I—they just seemed like part of what you needed in order to sustain this type of comedy and this kind of like the randomness of it. Over four hours as Mm -hmm. opposed to an hour and a half.
0: I I can go to bat for a couple of the new characters. Okay, let's hear it. I really enjoyed actually David Wayne, director and co writer, as Yaron, who is this sort of smug Israeli, uh, I I, don't want to say exchange student, but he's not a student. But
1: he fit, yeah, I would say he fit the best and also kind of fits into the thing that like is this the unspoken understanding of the camp which is that it's a jewish summer camp camp. and that that he kind of is the best thematically in terms of right he fits into into
0: expressing i i had a feeling that i maybe i'm wrong but i have a feeling that that character was maybe someone that they originally envisioned for the first movie because he kind of you're right that the the whole jewish side of the of the camp sort of unspoken in the movie or very it's subdued i feel like i wonder if that was maybe a little more prominent in a version that included him i wouldn't be surprised if and david wayne isn't in the movie even though he directed it he doesn't have a character so i I wondered if he was a refugee perhaps from uh the cutting room floor of the uh of the original movie And, and then he has the love triangle with uh lake bell and that all fits together with the character played by Michael Showalter Coop. I mean, I liked I liked their dynamic throughout the the whole series. So I, I think those are the two strongest new characters who we don't see in the in the film. And H John Benjamin, his character sort of new, I guess, it works uh, within the whole framework. And I also enjoyed John Hamm quite a bit. I have to say,
1: I like seeing him do comedy. I feel like the same way with uh with Bradley Cooper where it's always nice to have these reminders that they both started a kind of in comedy you right. know they both started with comedic roles and then mm-hmm. have ended up as these very serious actors mm-hmm. uh I, yeah i didn't love that storyline but it was nice to see him in it and i there were some bits of it that i liked
0: yeah, the, the storyline itself, which involves uh, the government conspiracies and toxic waste, doesn't. I don't think it has the strongest moments of the eight episodes. <laughs> but I will say that uh, the John Ham's character, every time he came on screen, made me laugh, and uh, the things he did. He has a big fight scene, which I thought was actually pretty hilarious the end the like the last scene with his character I also thought was really really funny and very kind of classic David Wayne and Michael Showalter kind of absurd humor so I, I was very happy to see him I think I think even if his his storyline was a bit of a of a dead end which the show essentially acknowledges yes. towards the end uh I, I was very happy to see him
1: yeah no I, I like that ending as well and um, we haven't talked about one thing which is that how much does seeing this? Did you watch this immediately after rewatching the movie?
0: I actually did the reverse. Ooh, I didn't want to burden the show too much with the movie. I, I, and I know the movie pretty well, where it's not like I needed a super refresher. So I watched the show, and then I rewatched the movie to see how it played as an <laughs> actual prequel. And that was where I did see some things that I hadn't remembered, like the Jim Stancil thing. Like, I did not remember that Jim Stancil was a name someone gave when they were making an excuse in one scene. Uh, so that was sort of a, a pleasant surprise. Or the, all the backstory uh, involving Molly Shannon's character, Gail, who has a very complicated love romantic life, life and yes. romantic life in the show— I vaguely remembered her being sort of lovelorn in the movie, but I didn't remember exactly what her story was. And I didn't realize that what we're seeing is sort of the stuff that she talks about in the movie, which was sort of fun to discover uh, after the fact. But I watched it that way. What about you? Did you I, I rewatch the, the, movie, the movie first? Yes, I
1: watched the movie first. And I was going to say the thing that like stands out the sharpest is how many of the cast members seem immune to the passing of time mm. and the select few who are not mm. and who age normally like mortals
0: <laughs> but- <laughs> like 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 regular people like us yes yes there are some cast members who look absurdly similar like paul, paul rudd, rudd obviously yes. everyone knows is is, a, is an immortal right he is he a is, highlander he, he cannot has a, age a
1: portrait of himself in an attic somewhere that is hideously aging
0: i will also give a shout out though to michael ian black who i thought also looked pretty good i have yes. to say when you watch them back to back he's holding up pretty well good for I good know. for michael ian garofalo
1: black. exactly the same she looks pretty good too yeah, yeah. yeah it's it's funny in that when the joke is so much about like how much these actors seem to clearly enjoy being like, I'm 16. Right. But that so many of them are like holding up remarkably well. Yeah. Kudos to you guys.
0: I will say one thing that definitely bugged me about the show and then bugged me even more when I went and watched the movie, very little David Hyde Pierce in the show. And I always liked him in the movie and going back and looking at the movie again, he is one of my favorite characters. His A professor character, so delightful and funny and has so many of the the best lines in the movie that we got so little of him in in the show, partly by design because the, the film is about him sort of meeting the characters and becoming part of their world. So it's hard to integrate him into a prequel. I, I did, I did miss his presence a little bit. I have to say, uh, you know, I, I missed having him having the scenes with Gene Garofalo. It's just not the same without him. Yeah, he's there. He has a he has a he has a role, but it's pretty minor. But he does get a really good like cold open. He does. He has he has a moment, but that's that's about all it is. I was actually, were you surprised how much Paul Rudd was in it? I was kind of expecting him to to because he's so busy, he's doing so many things. I kind of expected him to have like a Bradley Cooper part where. He's got a storyline, but he's, you know, clearly kind of, uh, they're using stunt doubles or body doubles, and they're shooting around him and using green screens and things like that. I was kind of surprised that he's, in every episode, he's pretty prominently featured. Yeah,
1: he's almost like the main character.
0: In some ways, <laughs> Yeah, he is. Which is
1: funny, because he's... He's the jerk, and he's still a ju- the jerk, but he's also sort of the hero. You're sort of rooting for him.
0: Yeah, it's funny. He's I would, he's arguably more prominent in the show than he was in in the film, which I guess makes sense because he is probably maybe the biggest star of the bunch now. He certainly wasn't the biggest star then, but has only gotten bigger and bigger and bigger over, over time. So it, I guess it would make sense that you would want to feature him more. But yeah, Andy was certainly not one of the focal points of the original, of the show, and you're right, of the film, rather. And he was the jerk, and now, still the jerk, but also kind of like the... The romantic hero. The romantic hero <laughs> in a weird way. Yeah, it's it's one of the stranger sort of, uh, sort of quirks of making a prequel is we need him to get where he gets, but they also need him to sort of be uh, a, a nice enough guy, maybe is the wrong word, but... As you said, the romantic hero, so that he can, he can, at least have this arc with Katie before it all falls apart later. I guess so. Yeah, it's a little weird, but I enjoyed the show. And like I said, Electro City. We haven't talked really much about it. That was that's the play that they put on. I I, I could watch that sequence all of those sequences a thousand times when Paul Rudd sings I think I'm gonna like it here (laughs) I've I've been saying that I've been just walking into rooms in my house and singing that I'm gonna be singing that for the rest of my life
1: and a tribute to actually another camp movie yes a a famous camp movie yes I'm glad they got in there yeah um before we finish I will say also just I wanted to give a shout out to Marissa Ryan's character who got maybe one of my favorite twists which i won't give away either but she plays abby and that reveal that
0: kind of backstory was hilarious i'm trying to remember which one was abby there's so many oh yes another very clever uh, little prequel thing see it's a good show it's a good show it's not a great show it's a good show
1: it's loose it's it's definitely uh, diffuse compared to the movie.
0: But yeah, it's diffuse, it's loose, but I'm glad we got, I'm really glad we got it. I'm glad we got to see these characters again. I'm glad they did not attempt to make a sequel. I think it's much funnier that they kept them all in camp and I give them a lot of credit for making something this weird, too. I have to imagine Uh, people who haven't seen the movie who go oh look Paul Rudd and Bradley Cooper are in this Netflix show they are gonna be in for a a fun experience I give them a lot of credit for uh sticking to their guns and making something nice and weird
1: yep it's definitely that and I was happy to see these characters too um so that is wet hot American summer first day of camp now streaming all eight episodes on Netflix
0: Our subject for Q shots on this episode is going to be the the work of the the Wet Hot American Summer gang, the alumni of of the film. And it's funny because I kind of think of them, even though not everyone from the show was in the movie. I kind of think of it as the I, I still think of them as the state, the TV show. I don't know if you have a history with that show, Allison. Did I mean? I
1: watched I watched some of it definitely growing up.
0: We are. We were sort of like the the prime audience yeah. because we're a thousand years old, <laughs> and we were we were in middle school and high school in the in the middle '90s, which was when the state was on MTV. MTV. I wonder I, I wonder how much people remember it now. I think it's pretty obscure. It's not I, like Kids in the Hall, which I think uh, people remember it's better. It's not easy
1: to see either. No.
0: it's not streaming anywhere that I know of. And I remember when it came to iTunes a while ago. That was a huge deal because it had been hard to see. Even it has not been available, right? Yeah. It was hard to see even after it went off the air. It was on MTV. I don't know if we even said that, or it's and it's hard to think of like a weird culty, strange sketch show that was on MTV. It doesn't seem like the kind of thing that would be on MTV now.
1: Well, it, it was an era of MTV where, like, well, as MTV always is in the process, is in flux, right? Sure, as in, is changing, is trying to keep up with the kids. And they were so young. They were just like, you know. They were like fresh out of NYU. NYU, Yeah, they had formed at NYU. And, I, you know, I listened to Kevin Allison, who is one of the members of the state, who has not kind of gone on to a television or film career, has a podcast called Risk, and he talks a lot about this and about how none of them really had any money, even when it was going on. And then when it ended, they all kind of were at a loss for what to do next. Mm. But obviously Michael Ian Black and David Wayne and Michael Showalter formed Stella and kind of continued on. And they've kept – there's like a loose uh, kind of like relationship still there between a lot of them.
0: Yeah, and I think they've done reunions and stuff as well. I didn't watch the show that much when it was like airing in first run. But I remember vividly – I have a vivid memory of uh, doing this show in high school, a theater show – where we it was like a we, please don't well you can laugh it's fine it was like a dinner theater show in the cafe <laughs> yeah in the cafeteria and i know don't, all about
1: your musical don't, theater
0: background don't this wasn't a musical don't oh. laugh at the all right you can laugh at this part too but my character in the show was the coolest kid in school <laughs> oh typecast to the bitter end <laughs> and uh, the, it was a murder mystery actually so my character gets killed in the, at the end of the first act So I have the second act to just sit in the – basically in the teacher's lounge was our dressing room. And I remember – I don't remember who brought it, but someone brought the the best-of-the-state tape. This is a VHS tape. Our listeners don't know what a tape is. But back in the day, they made these things called tapes that were played in these things called VCRs. And I remember every night after I died – I would sit in the teacher's lounge and watch this tape over and over, and that's where I saw, like, the pudding sketch and the monkey torture sketch, and I was just like, this is the funniest show that's ever been made, and that was where I really fell in love with these guys. And so when I remember Wet Hot American Summer coming out, I remember going to see it in the theater, and I remember having also having a tape of it, and uh, in college, I, I almost wore my tape of it out because I watched it so much because this was the age before – Netflix, so you had to watch these things you only had a you only had ten tapes to your name, you had to watch them over and over so yeah, so i I remember that probably even better than the state It was the wet hot American summer movie, and a little bit of Stella i mean, I guess we should also mention that uh, if we 're talking about the state, then there was that other kind of splinter group i mean they 've commingled k- but that Robert Ben Grant, Thomas Lennon, sort of faction that went off and made Reno Nine One One. and Kenny
1: Silver was uh, involved in that as well.
0: Yeah, they've done a couple of shows and different things. So there, there's almost like two different offshoot groups, even though they all kind of intermingle as well. And most of the state guys were in like the Reno Nine One One movie as well. And so, so it's a it's a, they never really became super super mainstream, but it's a great sort of group that's had some really wonderful kind of low-key success. And that's kind of why they're good for podcasts like this, because we can recommend a few things that maybe people haven't seen or heard about. And I think it's a good group for this sort of audience. Do you want to start with your first recommendation?
1: Sure. I will start um, with a film that actually, I think, sort of resembles David Wayne's They Came Together, which we've talked about on this podcast before. It's kind of a a, a parallel movie. It is The Baxter, which is now streaming on Hulu on its subscription side, which is this 2005 film. It's Michael Showalter's directorial debut. Uh, He also wrote the screenplay and stars as Elliot Sherman, who is the kind of, he's a Baxter in his own words. He's the kind of guy who, the nice guy, the reliable guy, the guy in the romantic comedy who the heroine almost marries and that she she doesn't really love him, but is going to settle for him until the dashing lead swoops in, and she runs off and lives happily ever after. He, he's he's the Bill Pullman, pretty much. He's
0: his character from What Hot American Summer. Exactly. He's playing the exact same the exact character. Exactly. Character.
1: Uh, and so I, I would I say this movie is like they came together because it like that movie is clearly interested in the mechanics of romantic comedies as a genre, even though in this case, the Baxter is is kind of a spoof of romantic comedies, but also a genuine romantic comedy itself. Elliot, who is, of course, a CPA, um, is getting ready to marry a glamorous magazine editor played by none other than Elizabeth Banks, um, another wet-hot alum, when her high school boyfriend, played by Justin Theroux, re-enters the picture, and Elliot, who has had multiple girlfriends, basically swooped away from him before knows what's going to happen and feels unable to stop it. Um, But he's also got his own potential love interest played by Michelle Williams. And it's funny who is kind of like the Baxteress to his Baxter. Um, It is funny that this is, this is in that time in Michelle Williams career where she was like the kind of always supposed to be the plainer one. (laughs)
0: <laughs> like, Everyone knows that plain ordinary woman, Michelle, <laughs> Michelle Williams. Williams, right?
1: Um, and as a comedy, it's a little subdued, which, as you might expect from the concept, and I think also because Showalter's strengths are not in being a leading man. I think he's an ensemble player and he's a smart writer, um, but it is sweet natured and charming and just very clever in actually exploring, like how do you how does a romantic comedy look from the perspective? of the nice guy who gets left behind and it it handles this really deftly and uh it's got also a cast that includes paul rudd david wayne michael ian black and joe Latrulio. so plenty of the plenty of repeat players from the state and from wet hot american summer uh and it it ends it's got a really kind of nice ending uh that i won't spoil for you but reinforces the idea that uh of kind of like you, who you are, when you don't think you're the main character in the story, uh, so so that is one I I, I think it's kind of an, uh, a a movie that no one really talks about that much, but is definitely worth streaming on Hulu. That is the Baxter.
0: I think you've summed it up very well. It's a likable film. It's a nice little film. Not a great film. It's not terribly ambitious. It's it's also like you said, it's not super funny. It, you know, like it's, it's not clever. Yeah, don't expect Wet Hot American Summer. Don't expect belly laughs. It's not that kind of movie, but it's likable. It's worth seeing. Yeah, so there you go. I I do have a sort of off-the-beaten-path recommendation that I'm going to get to later, but I did want to—because I did rewatch it for the show, I wanted to still talk a little bit more about the film Wet Hot American Summer because, like I said, I had it on tape and then on DVD— Watched it many, many times. I would. I. I don't know how many times you've seen it, Allison. I would estimate I've seen it close to twenty times from start to finish. Yeah, I think
1: I've seen it maybe six or seven times. Okay, I've seen it a lot,
0: a lot. But I hadn't seen it in a while, so revisiting it after I saw the series, I thought I was. You know, I didn't know what I was going to think, and I really felt like. It held up really nicely, and the thing that I didn't recognize when I was younger, probably because I was younger, was sort of the sweetness of it, the nostalgia of it, this kind of the melancholiness of it, uh, that kind of – you know, that it's the last day of – that last day of camp thing. You know, the, the, the show is the first day. The, the film is the last day, and it is – a and there's like – even though it is a very silly, silly movie and there's – uh, you know – Satellites falling out of the sky, and a very ridiculous montage where they go into town and they all become drug addicts for one minute. It has these very kind of sincere and and so I like moments of like sentiment that I did not expect at all. I didn't remember that was the stuff I'd forgotten, and uh, just like the the very last scene uh, with the Michael Showalter character with Coop uh, talking with. Uh, the Jeanine Garofalo character, the very very last thing of the movie, or just like little touches like that, or the little the, the 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 girls crying and hugging each other, minor characters, characters we don't even really know, as they're leaving the camp. And I think it's yeah, it's making fun of kids going to sleepaway camp and crying and saying we'll be best friends forever and, and
1: never and then never again. speaking to each other again, sending like one letter and then never doing it again. Right. I think it's they're they're making fun of that, but.
0: Very gently, in a way that feels like they they have a lot of affection for these kind of experiences and these people. And that was the thing that really struck me re-watching it Uh, more than anything was that that it's a sweet movie, that it's surprisingly, like, touching. Like, I found myself getting a little affected by it, that it's still very funny, and I was still laughing. And there were things that I remembered, like the can of mixed vegetables— and it's sexual prowess. Uh and there were there were jokes that I totally forgot. Uh like uh the David Hyde Pierce character when he first meets Jeanine Garofalo and she asks him to come to the camp and he's like no, I don't want to do that. And she's like, "Oh, come on." And she's he's like, "No, I don't want to do that. And she says, "Oh, please." And he's like, "I said no." And barks at her. I I for some reason I completely forgot that and I just uh, when I t- saw that I had to pause it. I was laughing so hard. I had to take a a, a laugh break from the movie. But yeah, it I don't know. I, you know, this is the kind of movie that people, I think, serious cineasts are quick to dismiss because it's, you know, visually it's it's not an ambitious film. It is, you know, there's there that aren't it, a lot of comedies that serious cineasts stand behind. That's that's fair. That's true. But I just think that there's that that that, that's, that that something this, I don't know, this smart and that endures where I can watch this movie. 20 times, and on the 21st time, uh, still enjoy it, still laugh, st- be more moved by it than I was before, that I don't know, that there that, that this this movie, I don't know, it, it, even though it does have a very respectable cult following now, I just feel like it, it deserves even more credit, and maybe even more credit for, you know, obviously the cast went on to such great things, how about giving the film a little credit for putting all these people together before they were famous, that, you know... They, they, these guys had an eye for talent you know obviously they're 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 working with a lot of people from the state but you know there there's people in this in this group that weren't in the state you know that that ended up uh being in in the movie guys like ad miles who is now the head writer of the tonight show with jimmy fallon that he was he wasn't in the state so I, I, it's a it's a it's a really good movie and the fact that it made according to wikipedia which is never wrong $295,000 at the box office. Not million, thousand. Uh, it just makes me sad, but uh, I'm glad that it's has that cult following. It has a show now, and if you haven't seen it uh, or if you saw it once maybe years ago and you thought know it was fine, I, I would say take another look. You might be surprised by what you find. That is the original Wet Hot American Summer from 2001, that is streaming on Netflix. And I did want to briefly mention, I didn't have time to watch it. They also have a making of uh, documentary on Netflix as well called Hurricane of Fun. Did you have a chance to check that out? I did not. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm curious. I added that to my my list and I'm going to watch it at some point. I haven't had a chance to check that out yet, but I, I will. Hurricane of Fun colon the making of, of Wet Hot.
1: All right. Well, for my second pick, I wanted to take a look at a TV series. Mostly I just wanted an excuse to watch some of this again, and I got sucked into watching more episodes than I'd really budgeted time for. But it is Party Down, Mm. which is available for rents and is also streaming with a subscription on Hulu. So you can get that as well. Uh, This is the short-lived comedy series that was, I think, one of the earlier Starz originals, and no one really knew that Starz had originals then, and no one really knew what Starz was other than one of those movie channels you flip past to maybe watch, you know, one of the Lord of the Rings movies on loop. (laughs) Um, And so this series was cancelled after two seasons due to terrible ratings. Like, even the creators admit the ratings were so terrible. um, And the network eventually got spartacus the kind of you know yes sword and sandals uh t- series that did so much better that they couldn't even say oh it's because we're on stars right um so it's it's but the ratings are kind of shocking considering well i, I would say one how uneven stars is later and apparently more successful series have been and also how good party down is mm. um it's created by john N Baum, Uh, Rob Thomas, who is the creator of Veronica Mars and iZombie, uh, Dan Etheridge, and Paul Rudd. And it's about a catering company in Los Angeles. And because it's in Los Angeles, it's made up of mostly aspiring or failed showbiz aspirants. Uh, And the lead... And straight man, and he is a very good straight man, is Adam Scott, Mm. who in the show has given up on an acting career after years of trying to make a go of it uh, and having made one famous beer commercial with a catchphrase that Mm. everyone keeps asking him to do when they figure out it's him. Uh, And then you have Ken Marino as his well-meaning boss, who is a recovering alcoholic and who's very earnestly trying to earn his way into running a franchise called Supercrackers, um, but inevitably, he creates more chaos in trying to be helpful and orderly and professional. And then you have Lizzie Kaplan, Ryan Hansen, Martin Starr from Freaks and Geeks, who's really good on this, Jane Lynch, and in the second season, Megan Mullally joins. And I think the format for this was, is it sounds like it shouldn't work, and it works so well, which is that each episode takes place entirely at an event. From a a homeowners association party, to a singles seminar, to a corporate retreat, and to much stranger places as it goes along. So you don't follow these characters home. You only ever see them at work. And all of their dramas play out in between servicing this party. It's very cleverly written, but it's also got this nice like thread of melancholy and desperation because it is about people who are all you know still working the stage job and for some of them uh some of them seem to just still be kind of starting out in doing things you know Lizzie Kaplan's character is trying to be a comedian Ryan Hansen's character is I think early in the show it's he's in the all-around handsome guy business in a band a model an actor but uh, it's it's very much about being at that level where you're just grappling for not just money but dignity you know that that you have to sacrifice dignity all of the time in doing these jobs like uh you know serving at one point college conservatives uh virgin cocktails and uh, it's got this really nice empathy to it and a real sense of understanding of what it's like to be to be starting out that uh i think for all that the comedy can be pretty sharp it's never hard on the characters for having dreamed for having had these aspirations even if especially in the case of adam scott's character it has basically left him like with nothing um and he's like vaguely depressive and not sure what's next in his life and honestly even though it's only two seasons It ends really perfectly, Uh, you know, and at that point in the show, Adam Scott had gone off to Parks and Recreation and Jane Lynch as well, and uh, there was no real chance for it to keep going anyway in its current incarnation, but it it, it ends so nicely that if it it had to get cut short like this, at least it did so very well. And they always still hold out hopes for a movie that I'm guessing will never actually happen.
0: I think too much time has passed. Too
1: much time has passed. And once again, the cast has gone on to bigger and better, busier things.
0: And again, (laughs) you probably would have said too much time had passed for a Wet on American Summer show, so... Who I knows? just like
1: where it, I feel like. Here's the other problem, though, is that if you revisited it now and they were all still working at the catering company, it <laughs> would be so, so depressing.
0: <laughs> That's a good point.
1: That's true. <laughs> um, but it is. If this is a show where it never sounded, the premise never sounded that promising to you, I can understand that. But it is actually, uh, it's, it's very watchable and very smartly done in its like, its deliberately kind of curtailed scale. Um, that is party down available for rents and also streaming with subscription on Hulu. All
0: right, that's a that's a good pick and it's a nice segue to my next pick because the one of the stars of Party Down was Ken Marino, who is also one of the stars and the writer of My next pick, which is the film Diggers, which is from 2006. It's available for rent and I haven't seen this movie probably since 2006 or 2007 when it actually played in theaters. And unfortunately I didn't have a chance to rewatch it, so I can't uh I can't go into too much detail about it, but this is a movie that I remember really liking and sort of a little bit of a different change of pace for uh you know like a state alumni kind of production. It is written by Ken Marino. He stars in it. Paul Rudd is the other uh main lead. Uh, and David Wayne produced the film. Uh, it was directed by Katherine Diekman. and it's 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 uh, it's shares with Party Down sort of that working class sort of desperation thing. Um, and it has some comedy in it, but it's definitely more of a of a dramedy. It's about a bunch of guys who are from Long Island, and they are clam diggers. That's where the title comes from. And basically, it is about the world as it is changing around them. These guys who, they're they are they're from Long Island. It's a place that's really been driven by the clam digging business for many years, but it's set in the 70s as sort of bigger companies are kind of coming in and taking over the business and how these guys are reacting to that. And some of them uh, sort of feel like that is selling out, but they also have to feed their families. So they have to decide whether or not they're going to take a job with one of these big companies. Uh, Some of the guys look at it as sort of a blessing in disguise because they're sort of obliged to do this, but they don't like uh, doing it. And I think, you know, it's interesting. I hadn't thought about this until hearing you talk about Party Down and here and now me hearing myself talk about Diggers is the, the similarities in some of these things in terms of, you know that you know that struggle to survive. That's that sort of balance between uh, providing for yourself, for your loved ones, and also doing something that fulfills you, and uh, and selling out, and what it feels like to sell out, and how long you can sell out before you just say enough is enough. I have I have to maintain my dignity somehow, uh, and all that stuff is in there. And it's just a, it's a sweet little movie. And it's unfortunate that this is, like, I don't know anyone who has seen this movie, really. I mean, I guess it's good to bring it up now and encourage people to check it out. I I only saw it the the one time uh, when I—maybe I I saw it a second time, I guess, when it came out. Because I think I saw it at South by Southwest. But it's been now almost a decade. Um, I know it is an autobiographical film to some extent. Ken Marino wrote it, based it on his own family's experiences. His father and grandfather were clam diggers on Long Island and it has that kind of uh, authenticity to it. It feels like something, uh, cold from personal experience. And, uh, I, 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 I'm kind of talking about it. I'm kind of wishing I had the time to go back and check it out myself. I'm guess I'm hoping I'm gonna have to make some time to watch it myself this week. Maybe. Uh, the rest of the cast is very good as well. Lauren Ambrose, Ron Eldard, uh, Josh Hamilton, Sarah Paulson, and more Tierney all in it as well. So, it's a good little film. Again, don't expect what, what, Wet Hot American Summer. That's definitely not what it is. It's, probably, it's even less sort of deliberately comedic uh, than The Baxter. It's sort of more on the drama side than comedy. But it has some nice moments as well. And uh, a, a good little movie worth checking out, worth finding. A little, little very small little diamond in the rough. That is called Diggers, and that is available uh, for rent right now. Alright, Allison, why don't you uh kick off this segment by telling our listeners what it's called? Matt and
1: Allison's. Yep. Totally concise. hmm
0: Keep going. That's all I got. Completely succinct. New release roundup. Yeah. Close enough. Team one advert. day, we'll, one day we'll get there. Sure, we're, we're approaching a hundred episodes. Maybe for our hundredth episode, you can uh, surprise our listeners by actually caring enough to learn the name of one segment.
1: Let's talk about the movies. That—that
0: that was a very like Paul Rudd in Wet Hot expression you just gave me. Is like ugh.
1: Ugh. Let's talk about the movies. Let's
0: Talk about the movies.
1: Well, what about Man from Uncle? This Let's
0: movie be- tastes like a burger. I don't like it anymore. <laughs>
1: What about the man from Uncle? What, what about him? One one of this week's new releases, Guy Ritchie, reinventing slash making appealing uh, an old TV show <laughs> for eighteen yeah. year old, you know, fourteen to eighteen year old boys. Yeah, basically.
0: Uh, I, if that was his goal, I don't think he succeeded. Although I didn't dislike this movie, I'd give it a mild recommendation. I have a hard time imagining fourteen to eighteen year old boys enjoying this movie because it's it is like what it has going for it is just a whole lot of style and not a lot of like. Agro intensity action movie verve. It's just a really damn good-looking movie. Beautiful costumes, beautiful sets, beautiful people, looking beautiful, posing. It's more people posing than even acting. I, I don't even know if there's a performance in this movie, but there's some damn good, like, standing around in beautiful clothes and some lovely cinematography with, like, desaturated colors like they found old film stock. That's kind of the look of it. I had an, I had a good time looking at the movie, but didn't care about any of it, and generally felt like, as an action movie, which is ostensibly what it is, it's not very good. But yeah. I just liked looking at it.
1: Yeah, I you know I it was it was a good time with it met my low expectations for this. Yeah, I'd say that, uh, and I will say the one the one noteworthy thing for me was that you know Henry Cavill is in it, who is obviously Superman. Superman.
0: You just spoiled his secret identity, by the way. Everyone knows it now. He's been keeping it secret for 75 years. Great job.
1: Glasses, you know, he puts them on. It was working
0: until you had to say something.
1: Um, Superman's a tough role to get out from under Mm. as a career. Partially because oftentimes also people who get picked for Superman have qualities that don't really lend themselves to other roles. I really enjoyed him in this role, even as much as most of his job is to stand around looking fabulous in suits. And he does look fabulous in a suit. Uh, he,
0: he looks he incredible. Looks
1: incredible, yeah. He was actually in our offices today.
0: Oh, here we go. Here we like, go. Ah. Um,
1: but I, he's kind of funny. He's got like pretty good timing for what, is, for what is, I don't know, like a role that basically involves just being cool. That's it. Um, That's
0: what the whole movie is. Yeah, it's just I, people swaggering around looking sure. cool.
1: And I would say, I mean, in contrast to Army Hammer, who has less to do, but also I think is a little less, uh, kind of doesn't ha- ever really pull that role together. I, I really, I enjoyed Henry Cavill in this. I feel like he showed some kind of a different kind of charisma that made me think that maybe he will go on to something past Superman.
0: I think he is handsome. I don't think he's bad in the movie. I didn't think Army Hammer was bad in the movie either. I just, I didn't think either one of them was all that dynamic. I mean, we haven't really said a lot about what it's about, and I don't it think people really even, matter. <laughs> I don't even think people remember the show. My dad was a big fan of it, and he went to see it with me, and we he agreed. He, you know, thought it was fine. It, basically, the premise is uh, Henry Cavill, Superman, as you spoiled, is uh, he's an American spy, and Army Hammer is a Russian spy. And they have to work together to do whatever. Blah blah blah. But the, I thought the kind of cool thing about it was that it sort of takes this spy milieu from the sixties. It's a period film and makes it into kind of a buddy cop thing where they hate each other, but they're partnered together. But I just didn't think that they really use that to its full effect. There's a good, there's a better movie in that idea that this movie doesn't get. Like, you know, you think of like a lethal weapon kind of a thing in this world. That sounds fantastic. And you know, Henry Cavill and Army Hammer are very handsome men. They are a far cry from, you know, Mel Gibson and Danny Glover. They just don't have that. They don't have the chemistry. They never seem like really like they really hate each other. And then they never really seem like they like each other by the end. You know, it just they don't do much except look really great in their clothes. Sure.
1: All right, let's move on to Straight Outta Compton, which you have not seen. I, I missed so the screenings while to go I was ahead away. And yeah, talk here, and,
0: and it's a fortune because I am such an expert on '90s hip hop. But go ahead; I'll defer to you.
1: Uh, this, you know, uh, there aren't many hip hop biopics yet. Hip hop is relatively young, but also. Also, I think it speaks a bit to Hollywood's ability or inability to make films with uh, leads of color. Uh, You know, we've had Notorious, we've had 8 Mile and uh, Get Rich or Die Trying, which are both lightly fictionalized. And uh, now we've got Straight Outta Compton, which is this, it's like half of this great movie, like half of a great biopic in which... It's kind of getting the team together. It's kind of let's put on a show except with rap and with these like famous, you know, uh, rap songs of the era coming together. And, uh, I, and Matthew Libatique is a cinematographer and does some great things with the concert footage. Uh, I, I think the, like they're so dynamic and so well done and they give such a sense of, uh, of the group coming in and just like blowing the roof off of places in these live performances. What's interesting about the movie and how i think it doesn't work in the second half is that it's it's so much of the second half is about everyone fighting and everyone Mm -hmm. breaking up and ice cube going his own way and dr dre going his own way and you know easy e and jerry heller his uh his manager and partner in the record company played by uh, paul giamatti who's like one of the only kind of like famous actors in this which has a lot of newcomers they're kind of going their own way uh, and there's a lot of sense of like smoothing over of history or kind of trying to fit it into a kind of comfortable rise and fall narrative. Sure. Um, and I think it, it speaks a bit to just how recent still these events are and how raw they are. You know, these are, these are people who didn't necessarily reconcile before E's death and who, there's
0: another spoiler for you. Way to go. Yeah. Spoiling everything.
1: At 31. <laughs> it's funny. Like uh, It's not funny. It's terrible. But when that comes around and you're just reminded of how young they've been throughout right. this time when, you know, his passing, which is kind of the end of the movie, that can count as a spoiler, I suppose, is and, you know, like he was 31 years old and you're like god like they started so young and this so much living is compressed into such a short amount of time but uh, i think you know there are some good performances i was particularly uh impressed by o'Shea jackson jr who is ice cube's oldest son who plays ice cube and looks just exactly like him and uh is like very good particularly in the scenes of performance but i'd still overall say it's worth checking out i it just feels a bit like a missed opportunity towards the end as it goes like, as it's so kind of careful, particularly with Dr. Dre and ice cube who are both producers on the movie. I mean, I don't know that I needed this movie to end with a reminder of how much Dr. Dre made off of the beats by Dre sale <laughs> to Apple. Seriously. That actually credits, is a title the card. Credits, and, the- that's wow. like, yeah. and there's, yeah. So it's, it's kind of, there's a self-serving aspect that really starts to come through at the end, mm-hmm. but that first half is so good.
0: Uh, that's sort of what I've heard from other people. People have been really praising the first half of the movie being really great, and then the second half being kind of it's biopicy y
1: kind of, And in search of an ending, really. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: All right. Let's get to uh, Behind the Eight Ball now, our segment where we count down three new releases on streaming. We give you two listener recommendations. And we pick one film blindly from each other's My Lists. Allison, do you want to go first? Do you want me to go first? I'll go first. All right. Well, why don't you start then and tell me some uh, new releases, three of them to be exact.
1: All right. Well, first up is A Most Violent Year, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. This is the third film from J.C. Chandor, who uh, wrote and directed Margin Call and All is Lost. This one is his kind of take on a gangster film, or rather it's about trying not to be a gangster. Uh stars Oscar Isaac as the owner of a small heating oil company in New York in the 80s during the kind of most crime-ridden era in New York. Um, and Jessica Chastain plays his wife. And the two of them are in an industry in which there's just ridiculous amounts of violence and corruption uh, in which, like, Trucks keep getting hijacked, and there's kind of, like, ganging up against one another. And uh, Isaac's character is in the process of basically risking everything to buy this waterfront property that could make his business enormous by giving him a place to kind of get oil shipped to directly. And uh, it's, it's a kind of nice, really nicely acted movie that I almost wished... I wished most of the time was actually a gangster movie. It's kind of a slow simmer all of the time uh, that very deliberately never reaches a boil, even though, and even though the point of it is the American dream and this kind of guy trying to play by the rules, Uh, There are times when you just wish the story was about Jessica Chastain because she wants to shoot things. That said, it looks great. And uh, these two leads are, you know, two of the most talented actors working today and seeing them together is a real pleasure. That is A Most Violent Year, now streaming on Amazon Prime. Also on Amazon Prime is Trouble Every Day, uh, the 2001 film from Claire Denis, which uh, is maybe the most kind of like, romantic or erotic film to also involve eating people, uh, stars Vincent Gallo and Beatrice Dahl, among others, as people who are uh, have this condition in which they kind of voraciously uh, reach out to people for kind of love, but also with the intent to actually consume them. And this movie is like... A dream that keeps dipping into nightmare and with two very hard to forget performances from Gallo and from Dahl, who both really managed to look like they could devour you whole. A great, creepy and kind of movie that could fall into a very unconventional horror movie category. Um, That is on Amazon Prime. And finally, new to Fandor is Polytechnique. This is the 2009 film, an earlier film from Denis Villeneuve, who directed Ensemble, Enemy, and Prisoners, and has also directed the upcoming Sicario with Emily Blunt. And this film is set in Montreal and based on a real shooting, a school shooting at the Ecole Polytechnique. Uh, it was also called the Montreal Massacre, in which a gunman in 1989. Uh, went in and murdered four women specifically women and you know i think kind of shades of elephant certainly but also with its own approach and kind of own angle and uh, in at a time where we see it feels like we have constant shootings of sorts to see someone kind of process that on film is always interesting and valuable That is Polytechnique, and it is streaming on Fandor.
0: All right. How about two listener recommendations?
1: Okay. First up, we have one from Andrew from Tucson, Arizona, who writes, I'd like to recommend you guys check out Rick and Morty. It's an adult swim cartoon that was co-created by Dan Harmon of Community and Justin Roiland, the voice of of the Earl of Lemongrab in Adventure Time. The show is about genius scientist Rick, who's basically an alcoholic version of Doc from Back to the Future, and his grandson Morty going on crazy interdimensional adventures. But there's also a lot of time spent with Morty's family back on Earth dimension c 137 it's recently become one of my favorite shows and everyone i show it to loves it as well it's darkly funny creative and has just the right amount of heart anyway if that sold you now is a good time to catch up because season two just premiered and season one is available to stream on hulu it's 11 20 minute episodes so it shouldn't be too time consuming Um, that's one i've seen a few episodes of and keep meaning to keep going on i've heard a lot of good things uh so thank you for that recommendation andrew and we had a, another recommendation from Jason in Chicago, who also corrected my pronunciation on Chirac. Thank you for that, actually. <laughs> Um, Jason writes My listener recommendation is for On the Road Directed by Brazilian director Walter Salas I recently caught it when my wife Was playing it on Netflix And I must say I was not expecting much When I first heard about this film I know this was part of Kristen Stewart's Recent indie art house On the Road tour Pun intended But what I was not familiar with Was how powerful the story was From this lauded book The Wanderlust themes seem very relatable and modern, despite taking place in the 1940s. Additionally, this film has cemented for me the acting chops of Garrett Hedlund, who I've seen before in other movies. But he plays this lust-for-life character, Dean Moriarty, with depth and determination. There's also a murderer's row of guest star actors in this showcase, which include Terrence Howard, Amy Adams, Kirsten Dunst, Viggo Mortensen, and Steve Buscemi. Um So that's on Netflix. Thank you for that recommendation, Jason.
0: All right, and how about one film chosen blindly by number from your eye list?
1: All right, you gave me number thirty, which is Rich Hill. Here is Netflix's description. Two filmmaker cousins return to their decaying hometown of Rich Hill, Missouri, to film this affecting documentary about the lives of three local boys. Um, this was a film that was at Sundance last year. It won the Grand Jury Prize for Docs, got a lot of praise for its portrayal of rural poverty. Um, the co-director is Andrew Droz Palermo, who is actually better known as a cinematographer. He shot You're Next, which is the great kind of slasher film, as well as A Teacher. And he actually has a new film out, I think actually this week, called One and Two, which is a kind of family drama with some supernatural in it, starring Kiernan Shipka from Mad Men. Mm. So uh, it's one that I'm curious about. I'm often very curious about uh, cinematographers making, directing movies. So that is Rich Hill Uh, on my my list. All right, Matt, are you ready?
0: Yes. All
1: right, three new releases.
0: First up, former film director (laughs) Steven Soderbergh's Behind the Candelabra, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. This is Soderbergh's biopic about Liberace, played by an excellent Michael Douglas, and his long secret relationship with Scott Thorson, played by an also excellent Matt Damon. This wound up being Soderbergh's final feature as a director, at least for the moment, even though technically it debuted on HBO. And it's actually sort of a fitting one because it is a movie about farewells in a sense, and it's about two men with a very complicated relationship with the entertainment industry, which makes it kind of interesting in an autobiographical sense for Soderbergh, even as it is a very good docudrama about this pair of uh, gay men. So that's Behind the Candelabra, streaming now on Amazon Prime. Next up, another film about an intense relationship between two people, albeit not a sexual one. This is The Skeleton Twins from last year, which stars Bill Hader and Kristen Wiig as siblings who reunite after a long separation following Bill Hader's character's attempted suicide. And this is a very—I don't want to say it's a classic because it's not a classic, but a classical American indie in that it has a lot of the tropes, the tried-and-true tropes of an American indie. You got depression— suicide, dysfunctional families. There's a scene where the characters lip-sync to a classic 80s it's pop song. It's really good. It part. is very good, yeah. And generally, I think it's a very well-done version You've of... Got funny people being
1: serious. Like um, classic. That's...
0: <laughs> Thank you. I forgot that one, but you're absolutely right. That is another hallmark of all American indie films, which the Skeleton Twins also uh, uh, does have as well. And I think it's a very well-made version of this kind of American indie. I think Kristen Wiig and Bill Hader both give very strong performances. I think the fact that they had that bond of working together for years on SNL made them very believable siblings. Uh, it's a good movie. Skeleton Twins, that is available now also on Amazon Prime. And finally, a little movie that I haven't seen in years, but just saw it pop up on Hulu and wanted to recommend. It is called The Lie, and that is the directorial debut of actor Joshua Leonard, who is probably best known for his roles in The Blair Witch Project and Hump Day. And he also stars in this film, which is about a family man who, in an act of desperation, covers for his absence from work by inventing a horrible lie that his young daughter has died. And the rest of the film, which is a a pretty smart comedy, as I recall, is about him trying to deal with the fallout of telling this lie. And The Lie is one of those movies like Diggers. You know, it's small in scope, in budget, in ambitions, not very widely seen when it came out, but well-made, authentic, personal, and definitely deserved to be seen by a wider audience. So maybe people will check it out now on Hulu. That is The Lie. All right. Two listener recommendations. First up, Christy writes in all the way from Australia saying... Wormwood: colon, Road. And remember, we're all, we're pronouncing all all punctuation in titles from now on on this show. Allison, <laughs> Wormwood: colon, Road of the Dead is a fast-paced action horror movie, more action than horror, set in Australia with lots of Aussie ingenuity, bad language, gore, and some interesting concepts. Different from any other zombie film I've seen, which is no mean feat. It premiered at Fantastic Fest and is supposed to be one of the most torrented indie movies available, but it's available on Netflix, so you don't have to be naughty and watch it. You can watch it legally. It's a little bit original Mad Max, a little bit Evil Dead, and a really good time. Thanks, guys, from Christy, that is Wormwood, colon, Road of the Dead, and that sounds great. Original Mad Max and original Evil Dead. Sounds like a nice combination to me. So thank you, Christy. We've also got an email here from a longtime listener, Joe in Astoria, who writes, Hi, Matt Nelson, I just finished the recent SVU episode, and I'm now excited to check out Faults, as well as your other recommendations for movies about cults, none of which I've seen. Uh, during one of my cult-centric YouTube rabbit holes several months ago, I came across an intriguing documentary from... Oregon public television called Rajneesh Agogo. It tells a fascinating story about followers of an Indian guru named Rajneesh or Asho who set up a commune in early 80s Oregon and the ensuing culture clash and political battles with their very, shall we say, waspy neighbors. We watch as the sex-positive Rajneesians, Turn a sparse rural ranch into a fully developed and populous city, much to the dismay of their conservative citizens of nearby Antelope, Oregon, who soon vote to have their city renamed Rajneesh at the behest of the Guru's increasingly expanding voting block. This is a great example of truth being stranger than fiction and one of those oddities that we really have to thank the Internet and specifically YouTube for allowing us to see. Check it out. That is Rajneesh Agogo, and that was a recommendation from Joe in Astoria. Thank you, Joe. That sounds fascinating as well. All right,
1: one from your my
0: list. You gave me number 50, and number 50 on my My list now is Angbak2, colon, The Beginning. I will read you the plot description. Tien, the son of Lord Sihadeko, a murdered nobleman, is taken under the wing of Chernang, a renowned warrior and leader of the Fabikut Krut. Angbak 2, Cole in the beginning. I saw Angbak 1. I liked Angbak 1. I don't really know why I've never seen Angbak 2, Cole in the beginning, but I have not. And that is why it is on my, my list. Allison, it is time to discuss listener's choice options for our next episode. We have an intriguing batch this time around, and I sincerely do not know which option our listeners are going to pick. I have the first one. It is called Welcome to Me. It is available now on Netflix. It is directed by Shira Piven, who is actually the sister of Jeremy Piven and wife of director Adam McKay. Interesting. Mm. The film stars Kristen Wiig, who I was just mentioning, Uh, During the Skeleton Twins, she stars in this film about a woman with psychiatric problems who wins the lottery, uses her money to create and star in her own nutty talk show, and then becomes a sensation. And uh, it sounds like a premise that could go uh, – frankly, I'll just say it. It sounds like a premise that could go very wrong. But I've heard a lot of good things about this movie, that uh, Kristen Wiig gives a really good performance Uh, That the rest of the cast, which includes James Marsden, Linda Cardellini, and Wes Bentley are all really good. And that it's a really interesting movie about fame and and mental illness. And it's worth checking out. Neither of us has seen it. Right. We both want to see it. Yes. And so that is why it is option number one. Welcome to me. Available now on Netflix.
1: Okay. Option number two is... Going to be the toughest sell here. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. But I urge you to open your minds. Neither of us (laughs) has seen it yet, but it is one of the best reviewed movies this year. Open
0: your minds and your hearts to...
1: Get, colon, The Trial of Vivian Amsalem, uh, which is now streaming on Amazon Prime. This is directed by siblings Ronit and Shlomi Elkabetz. And it is a courtroom drama, but is also a divorce drama because to obtain... A, a divorce in israel if you're jewish a get a get g-e-t-t yes you have to go to a rabbinical court there's no civil divorce
0: right so it's a religious divorce it's a
1: religious divorce you have to petition a rabbi and also your husband has to consent so a husband can refuse to end his marriage and you right. don't have an option right right And in this case, it's about a character, Vivian Anthem, who has been applying for a divorce for three years, but her husband keeps refusing. Uh, And so it is about this kind of the surreal aspects of the system in which you have to kind of have a courtroom battle for this marriage that you're trying to get away from, Mm. uh, but also that it it involves revisiting your marriage and, like, all of the reasons that you don't think it's working anymore or, you know, or in this case, maybe a husband who does... And it's it's gotten a lot of praise, and I've also heard some people compare it to A Separation. I was just
0: gonna say, hearing it described, it sounds like an Israeli A Separation,
1: right. uh, which is the Iranian film. Which is like one, one of my favorite films, amazing a few film, years ago, an amazing one. So anything that earns anything kind of compared to that is in good shape. Is, yeah. is something that I'm very interested in seeing, and you know, give us a chance to watch it in the context of the podcast. We'd enjoy that. Let's get the trial of Vivian and Am Amsalem.
0: All right. Our final option uh, for this round is available on Netflix right now. It is the Dardenne's most recent film, Two Days, One Night. The plot description here. On the verge of losing her job, Sandra comes up with a last-ditch strategy. Get her workmates to give up their bonuses so she can stay on. And Sandra is played by the great Marion Cotillard. She was Oscar-nominated for this role. Allison has seen the film – I actually have not. I missed it. I still have not had a chance to catch up with it. So I uh I did a little campaigning to get this one on here to give me the excuse to finally watch it. I love the Dardan brothers. I've I've liked every one of their movies that they've made and I've loved a lot of them and some of them have been my favorite movies of years when they've come out. So I have no ex- I don't even know why I missed it. I just missed it when it was in theaters and Didn't have a chance to catch up with it before the end of the year, but uh, I'm looking forward to watching it at some point. And, uh, yeah, that is Two Days, One Night, and that is streaming now on Netflix.
1: All right. Well, which of these uh, kind of female-centric You we've got a female-centric slate this time around. That's true. We didn't Uh, do it deliberately, but it is. But it's pretty neat. Uh, Which of these should we review on the next episode of Film Spotting Streaming Video Units? You can always send your pick to SVU at filmspottingsvu.com, but you can also enter in the poll on the right-hand side of the page at filmspottingsvu.com. Your vote must be received by Monday, August 24th at noon. And after that, we'll announce the winner on Twitter at our Twitter account, which is at filmspottingsvu. And you'll have all that week to watch the film and then join us for our conversation on the next episode, which will be on Tuesday, September
0: 1st. I, I want to apologize. I should have said the title correctly. It's Two Days, Comma, One Night. Two Days, Comma, One Night. Mm, that was my mistake.
1: Much better. Now it's going to change all the voting. Yeah, Just it probably will. That, You're that right. we a
0: touch. Yeah. FilmSpottingSVU.com is also where you can find our show archive, as well as a list of direct links to all the movies we discuss on the show. The SVU remix theme song is by Vince Vandal, and you can listen to more of Vince's work at VinceVandal.com. We'll be back in two weeks. With more movie recommendations and the movie review you pick. But in the meantime, follow us on Twitter at Allison Wilmore, at Matt Singer, and follow the show at Film Spotting SVU. That's where we announce the winner of each show's listener's choice and where we share lots more streaming suggestions from ourselves and from you guys, the Film Spotting SVU listeners. For Film Spotting SVU, I'm Matt Singer.
1: And I'm Allison Wilmore. Thanks for listening.